The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media, building a community of leaders who are doing business better. Learn more about Conscious Company magazine, events, and membership at ConsciousCompanyMedia.com. I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women. You know, I'll tell you, it was the worst day of my life, but it also ended up in retrospect being the best day of my life. Elise Stoltz-Dickerson is an earwax entrepreneur. Yes, you heard that right. Stay with me here. I promise this is a good one. After being let go from her big-time corporate job, Elise and her colleague, who had also been let go from the same company, decided they wanted to start their own business, but they didn't quite know what unmet need they would fill in the market. All they knew is that they wanted to work in the healthcare industry, which is where they had experience. So they set out on a series of informational interviews with doctors about what issue was impacting them most. To their surprise, one of the most common issues that doctors were facing that didn't yet have a solution was earwax impaction. So Elise and her co-founder set out to start a new biotech company called Eosera, with earwax impaction as their first problem to address, and the company has exploded since then. We sat down with Elise to talk about how she created a successful company by going out and finding a problem that needed a solution, and how she transformed one of the worst days of her life when she was let go from her job into one of the best things that's ever happened to her. Let's just start at the beginning, um, all the way with the origin story. And I wanted to talk about the place you were in your life right before you founded EOSERA. That is a great question. Um, So I was in, I would call a pretty dark uh, place, Um, probably uh, the most unhappy I've ever been in my professional career. And it, it was um, enlightening to me to figure out how I got there because it, it sort of happened over time and I didn't even realize I was going down into a dark place So I had been at um, the same company for about 13 years, um, and the culture had eroded over time. And what I found, and I think this is pretty consistent across all big, you know, huge companies, um, people become numbers. And as employees, I think we tend to lose our purpose when we're just... Uh, focused on the bottom line, you know, and delivering that to the shareholders. And that's where I found myself very unfulfilled in the daily work, um, asking myself, you know, what am I really doing for this world? What am I doing for myself and my family besides making money? And that was the turning point. Um, so um, it was it was about as low as you could go. So how, I mean, w- what happens next, of course? Like, the, I mean, there's so many people 
that feel that exact same way that you felt um, of unfulfilled in my work and I have all these responsibilities and all these people are counting on me. What happened next? So the company was going through a lot of transition and it just so happened that I was asked to leave. And, you know, I'll tell you, it was the worst day of my life, but it also ended up in retrospect being the best day of my life. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in uh, a job for that long um, and moving up through the ranks, it's really easy to get comfortable and complacent. And you have that really great paycheck coming in and you have these great benefits and these stock options. And there's all these things tying um, that was, that were tying me, uh, you know, to the job. Um, and I don't know how much longer I would have stayed if they hadn't asked me to leave. Um, but I was really fortunate in retrospect that they did. Mm. I too was fired right before I had the, uh, idea for conscious I was actually the same day I had the idea for conscious company um so I we share that crazy experience and I often hear that you know being kind of forced out of your circumstance which often at the time feels like the worst thing that's ever happened is usually the best thing that's ever happened um so let's jump to Eosera so you are at you're let go what how, like how do we make the transition from that to yeah I'm going to start a company so it just so happened that um, a, a gentleman that worked for me, um, he was let go as well within, you know, within 30 or 60 days of when I was let go. And we had worked together um, in some way or another for probably 10 years. And he's a scientist and I came from the commercial side. And so we were really nice balance of capabilities and skill sets. And so we just sort of put our heads together because I think both of us were not really that excited about going back and getting a, you know, a real job in a big company. <laughs> and we were both at a, a point in our careers where financially we had, you know, saved enough money to, to be able to give some other things a chance. And, you know, I, I'll pause there for one second and just say, I'm so glad that as a young professional, I started saving money early mm. and I encourage, you know, everyone that I mentor, even if it's, you know, $10 a week, you know, whatever it is that you can put away and pretend you don't have, it can make a tremendous difference later in your life. Um, so anyway, off of that soapbox, but so we sat down, put our heads together, and we said, what could we do with our resources um, and our brain power? We knew we wanted to do something in healthcare because that's the industry we came out of. And so we just started talking to doctors, and we took any lunch, dinner, coffee that we could get with all kinds of doctors and just started asking, what are some unmet needs in your practice, and how could we potentially make life better for you and your patients? And after probably 30 days, 45 days of just talking to people and, you know, doing research on the side, earwax impaction was a condition that rose to the top, whether it was with pediatricians, geriatricians, regular GPs, ENTs, audiologists. And we just kind of looked at each other like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> earwax is a problem and, and it hasn't been solved. 
And what we figured out is it was one of these sort of under the radar disease states, if you can call it a disease state or condition, um, that no big manufacturer was paying attention to. And so we uh, got busy. We, we started just reading a lot of medical literature, talking to doctors, trying to figure out, okay, how could we break down or dissolve earwax quickly? Because um, that's really what needed to happen in order for patients and, and doctors to be satisfied with a treatment. And so we um, pulled our money and we spent the next nine months in a laboratory in Fort Worth, Texas, just testing any and every kind of formula that we could test. And um, there was, there were, I would say three or four formulations that rose to the top that were consistently dissolving earwax. And one thing that's interesting to know that um, we were harvesting human earwax from doctors. Um, so they would send us test tubes of earwax from their patients. <laughs> I know, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what's fascinating is that everybody has different earwax, you know? So there's different consistencies and there's different colors and I hate to say it, different smells. And, um, and so we had to find something that would work across all the different types of wax that we were, you know, uh, running into. And so your, you know, your genetic makeup, uh, can impact your wax, your diet can impact your wax. Um, your age can impact your wax. Um, so fast forward nine months, we came out with a product that in test tubes was just breaking up the wax brilliantly and very quickly. And that launched our company, really. I mean, that it was that day when we looked at each other, we're like, we've got something. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> <laughs> this is unlike any story we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but what one of the unique characteristics is actually... Um, we usually talk to, to women who say I had an idea and I knew exactly what I wanted to go do. And then I went out and I did some market research and I figured out kind of the best way to do it. And your story is a bit different in the fact that it was like, I was let go. I met this incredible partner. We decided we wanted to launch a business. We didn't know what we wanted to do. We know the industry that we wanted to be in. And the first thing that you did was market research to figure out what was the largest problem that you could tackle within that industry, which I think is a really important point to underscore for a lot of budding entrepreneurs, because a lot of people have an idea, they think it's the best thing in the entire world, and then they run out and try to do it, and they have absolutely zero concept of whether or not it's needed in the market or not. Um, so from that is just this question of the the courage to take the leap from career woman to entrepreneur. Um, and in that moment where you had been let go, you found this partner, you guys decide like, we want to launch a business. Was there any fear involved at that moment around we're putting our own money on the line now we're starting our own thing or was it just kind of this like gung ho, we know we, we're going to go solve a problem. We're fine. We're good. Don't worry about it. So I wish I could tell you I was fearless because um, <laughs> I like to pretend that I am sometimes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but no, I mean, I was terrified. You know, I had been in this comfortable environment where I knew I, I knew I could do the job. And then all of a sudden, this idea of, holy shit, I don't know if I can do this. Um, you know, running a company is very different than running a business inside of a large organization. And 
we knew that we would have to go raise money, that we didn't personally have enough money to make the entire you know business fly. And so that was scary. Um, and I was worried, you know, of rejection, you know, would people even, you know, have a meeting with me and then, and then would they take my, you know, would they trust me with their money? And, and so the way I got through that fear was I made a really conscious decision to surround myself with people that believed in me. And that may sound kind of silly, but I think we don't acknowledge how often we are surrounded by people that kind of bring us down or don't necessarily lift us up. And it's up to us to make that decision. You know, who, who am I going to spend my time with today? Who am I going to interact with? Who am I going to, you know, look at on social media, that kind of thing. And so I really narrowed my focus and it was family and it was really close friends. And it was, you know, people that I really, really trusted that would tell me the truth and would um, encourage me. And that's really what got me through. And there were, there, there still are moments where I'm, you know, I question whether, whether I've got what it takes, but I, you know, I'll call those people and say, <laughs> am I still doing okay? And, you know, inevitably they'll say yes. Uh, I'm so, I have to ask, like, what was your family's reaction when you were like, I'm heading into the earwax business? <laughs> So it's interesting because my dad is a retired physician and he was, he was like, yeah, you're right. There isn't anything. And, um, so they were pretty excited. And I think, I think in the back of my mind and especially with my husband and my, my parents, we all knew I could go get another job at another big company. And so let's just say this didn't work. You know, I was going to kind of give it a year or two. If it didn't work, I could always go get another job. So that was the back, the fallback. Um, but you know, I had a soup, I have a super supportive husband that, you know, let me, he, he just looked at me. He's like, okay, I trust you. <laughs> Cause you know, I'm just like draining our savings account. And, uh, he's like, I guess, I guess you know what you're doing. <laughs> I uh, I relate to this particular story, this narrative. <laughs> Thank God for the partners that are behind yeah. us. <laughs> Real, I mean, it's true because if if you don't have supportive people around you, it I, I'm not sure you can do it on your own. Agreed. Um, so you guys kind of get you you have your test tube of of liquid that is getting through all of the earwax of all the different shapes, sizes, and smells. Uh, you've put your savings into this. You guys have, you know, had a number of trials with this. Um, what do you guys start doing at this point? And I mean, like literally tangibly, like what were some of the yeah. first steps of setting up the company? So first steps were, we, you know, we incorporated and we started writing a patent because we're like, we've got something here. And so we hired, um, some actually friends that we knew that were IP attorneys to help us. And, you know, we tried to do as much of the heavy lifting as we could to keep costs down, but inevitably you need to hire the experts to do it right. And, and then we realized, you know, to really change behavior in the market and to really get doctors to believe in us and this product, we needed to run a clinical trial. And so that means taking the product and not just testing it in a test tube, but testing it in what I call the human test tube, the ear canal, um, and see what it does. 
And so there was a business pitch competition that I saw. I don't know where I read about it, but it was um, held in Dallas and sponsored by Co-America Bank. And the prize was $50,000. And I just looked at my business partner. I'm like, if we could win that, that could pay for the clinical trial. So um, we got through the first round, kind of got through the second round, and then we made it to the, I think it was the final six or seven um, companies that got to pitch in front of the judging panel uh, for the prize. And so we were there. um, I got up and gave the pitch and we won. And that was the moment everything changed because we now had not only some outside money, Um, But we also got some publicity and all of a sudden I had people calling, wanting to invest. And it was another oh shit moment for me because they were like, you know, I want to invest, you know, what are the terms? How do I do, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not ready to take money. Um, I don't know how to take money. I've never raised money. So it was another moment of, okay, you better figure this out really quick. And so luckily I had, um, some really great lifelong friends that are um, in the private equity group, uh, private equity world. And I was able to call them and, you know, they helped me get a term sheet together really quickly. And um, they gave me a, a lot of coaching on how to raise money, which was, you know, ended up being invaluable. And so we raised um, a little over a million dollars uh, pretty quickly at that point. And then we were really a real company. We, we could, you know, take that money now and develop the product, put it in production, you know, develop marketing and, uh, and launch. And, and from those folks who coached you on some of that fundraising, are there any lessons that are transferable that you're able to provide to other folks who are going out to do fundraising rounds of their own? Yeah. So one of the most important things they taught me, and I'm so glad they did, is set your terms and don't stray from them. And because I was amazed at how many different investors or investor groups I would go to, and they would try to change the terms in their favor. And what, um, you know, this person coached me was, you know, lay out terms that are fair, both to the investor and to you. and then, and then stick to it and, and be, don't be afraid to say no. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we turned, you know, we turned investors down. Uh, We turned groups down that wanted to dictate the terms and we we still were able to raise all the money we needed to raise. And was that the only round you guys have done or have you brought on more fundraising since that time? Yeah, we did one more round and, um, we were able to raise that round in three days uh, with our original investor group because I think we had delivered on the promise um, over the the first two years. And so when we went back to them, it was a very easy conversation. Um, And yeah, that was, that was a really great feeling. I bet. (laughs) Um, So now you have the benefit of hindsight and can kind of look back on those first few years. Is there anything that you would have done differently at the beginning when you were setting up the company? Um, I think so. Some of our first hires I would have done differently. Um, You know, when you're really small, um, everything's kind of a team effort. 
And so we hired, we had a small team of about five of us when we first started, or like when we raised the money, we were able to hire some people to help us. And we, we treated everybody like equals and we treated everybody like um, it was their company, even though it wasn't their company. Um, and so that was a, that was a mistake that I, you know, I now regret. Um, but I learned from it and, and it's, you know, we can recover from it. But what I learned is as the CEO and, you know, with my co-founder, we had to set boundaries that ultimately we own the company. We make the decisions of the company and they work for us. They're not our partners. And so that would, that, you know, and so now everybody that we bring in, we, we have more clear delineation of responsibilities and it's easier to do when you're bigger but when you're, you know, when you're small and everybody's sitting around a you know, coffee table, essentially, um, it, it's hard to delineate responsibilities. And, and so that's, that, that's, a, that's our biggest regret. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, kind of since that point at the very beginning to where you are now, what type of traction have you gained? And what do you think has been the critical element of that traction? So the critical element... Um, is that CVS, the buyer at CVS, and CVS has about 8,000 stores across the United States. Um, this buyer that I met with and, and how it works is there's a category manager, um, and that's who I'm referring to as the buyer. And uh, they have control over what products they bring in, and they usually reset their category once a year. And so I met with him and you know I walked him through how this category had been essentially dead for decades. You know, there really hadn't been any innovation. There was no category growth. And so a lot of retailers were giving up on the category and he got it. Like he saw the same opportunity that we saw. He took a risk on us. He, um, I proposed that he put our product, our first product in 2000 or 2,500 stores. And he said, Nope, I'm putting it in all 8,000. <laughs> <laughs> Right. A little, a little heart palpitation. Yeah. <laughs> but he believed in it. And that again was like sort of that next level for the company that, you know, we weren't going to start small. We were going all in from the beginning. And the great news is the product performed. And um, so he took the product in 2017 and um, he now carries, let's see, five of our products. So we, we've expanded outside of just earwax. We were trying to really own the ear care category over the counter. And so we have products for ear pain and the ear itch. And we have an ear irrigation system that rinses the ear canal. And um, so we're, you know, we're trying to bring remedies to all different types of ear conditions that that consumers suffer from hmm. and CBS has continued to take all of them. Um, and then with that, that was able to establish, you know, sort of a benchmark of here's what can happen if you take our product. And so now we're in Rite Aid stores, nationwide Rite Aid stores. Um, we're in uh, target stores, about 700 target stores and just continuing to grow each day. Wow. And can, can you just walk us through the timeline from when you were let go to the idea, to the 50,000, to the clinical trial, to the CVS, like how, what yeah. type of timeline are we looking at here? Um, Cause it seems like, seems like yesterday. 
So let me, let me try to get close. So I was let go January 2nd of 2015. And then we incorporated March of 2015. And we, um, probably won the money in the early probably Q1 or Q2 of 16. And then we launched the product in April of 17. So pretty much two years from incorporation, we had a product on the market, which is lightning speed uh, for a healthcare product. Yes. Incredible. Um, so, and you might've just spoken about it. It might've been this conversation with the CVS gentleman, but, um, what has been the best moment on your journey so far? There's been so many good ones. Um, that certainly was one, um, winning that, that retailer, but it's kind of the small moments that are the best. Like, I mean, I'm so grateful for the business partner I have. He, um, you know, we, we just always seem to balance each other out and um, it's, it's just a joy to come to work every day. And so that's, um, and the team we've built, you know, it's it, like, I just love coming to work every day and there's something to be said for that. <laughs> Not dreading, you know, the drive in. Um, but yeah, CBS was a highlight and, and then launching each product launch we've had has been a highlight. I have to ask, um, I mean, there are co-founder situations that can go a myriad ways. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I, I started our company with a co-founder um, and have heard horror stories and also heard that your co-founder can kind of make or break your your entire business. Do you have any kind of lessons or insights on how to choose a co-founder? Because I've heard all the same stories that you're referring to. Um, <laughs> It just, it just nightmare scenarios. And I don't necessarily have advice. I mean, in our situation, we had worked together for 10 years before and, and we're complete opposites, you know, from, from our skill sets. Um, but at the root, both of us have the same value system. And so, and, and, and it's, and it's rooted around, you know, treating people the way we want to be treated. That's really, it's, it's that fundamental. And when, you know, when things get tough, we go back to that. It's like, you know, how, how do we really want to treat people? How do we really want our employees to feel or our consumers to feel or our investors to feel? And how is this decision going to impact them? So I, I just had the fortune, good fortune of really, really knowing the person I was going into business with. And so it, you know, it worked out. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to say, you're making this sound pretty dang easy. Like uh, <laughs> we found the thing, we got the formula, CVS picked it up. Now we got five product, no big deal. Um, I assume that there have been some challenging moments on the journey. And I am curious if you could walk us through what was one of the most challenging things that you've been through and how did you get through it? Well, there's been challenges weekly. We had one this morning when I walked in. (laughs) So everything from labels being misprinted, you know, or, you know, bottles that we've waited, you know, months for to come over from China and they're not the right bottles, you know, things like that. And you just have to constantly pivot and figure it out. 
You know, you can, there's no time in this environment to sit and be mad or sulk or it, you just get it done. You figure out, okay, that's not going to work. So what am I going to do next? And so luckily we, both my business partner, I have that mindset. Um, the hardest part has been the people. And we, we had to let two employees go back to back. And that was probably the worst moment um, for both me and my partner. Um, because we, we actually, you know, we care, but they just weren't, they weren't the right fit. And um, so that was by far the hardest. Any insights or lessons that came from, you know, kind of having to let people go? Well, I think it goes back to the point I was making about, you know, setting barriers and boundaries into, you know, people's roles and, um, and then holding people accountable. And we probably didn't hold people accountable for their behavior as much as we should have. And so when behavior was out of line with our core values, um, we should have addressed it sooner Mm -hmm. instead of letting it you know, hoping it would work itself out. And, you know, it's, it's cause it's hard. It is really, really, really hard to manage people. Um, especially when you care, but yeah, that I mean, it's a huge lesson to address issues right when they come up and don't let them linger. So kind of speaking of being in that leadership role, I'm curious, what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've gotten on your journey? The best advice, um, (laughs) well, one of them is um, a woman that I worked for, she used to tell me, when when things would go wrong, she used to say, this too shall pass. And I say that to myself all the time now, whether it's about, because something goes wrong daily. I mean, it's just how... (laughs) That's how, I don't know, entrepreneurship goes, but you can frame it as, you know, it's the end or this is just another opportunity, you know, in a obstacle to, to step over. And so this too shall pass just kind of resets my internal, um, system to say, all right, I got this, this is going to pass too. I'm not even going to remember this in three months, but I know I got to figure out how to get through it right now. Um, so for you, uh, what does, like, what are some of the practices that are actually serving your own personal sustainability? How do you take care of yourself? So I, um, I work out every single morning. So I get up before, uh, have to take my kids to school and I go to the gym and it's for me, that is like the one hour in the day that I say is my time. And I love it. It's not a chore for me. You know, for me, it's, it's actually fun. Mm. And so I do that daily. And then, you know, I try to meditate, but I'm, I have to admit, I'm really bad at it um, and not consistent with it. Um, But it does wonders for me when I do. So I don't know why I don't do it more. (laughs) You know, it's one of those like, (laughs) yep. Um, I, I kind of think I'm such a, a, a social person that I'm kind of like, why do I want to sit by myself for 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> or I have stuff to do. Right. Uh, but I, but I should do more of that. But those are the two things I would say that, um, 
serve me. And then I also, I really try, I can, I, I'm not always great at it, but I really try to turn work off when I go home so that I can be with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so curious around, could you talk to me about a life changing moment that you've had on your journey? And that could be either personal or professional, but just a moment that actually changed the pure trajectory of where you were heading on your life. Yeah, I think getting fired. Yeah. It was absolutely earth shattering. Um, And I think I'd be in a completely different place today if I had not been. So um, there's no doubt that was one of the most life altering things to happen to me. Um, And then I think, but I had the choice of how to respond to it, Mm -hmm. right? I could have rolled over and, and been upset or what I chose to do was go do something, you know, challenge myself to do something incredible. All right. Getting down to the final questions here Uh, from the top lessons that you've learned so far in building the company. What are the top, maybe two to three pieces of advice that you give other business leaders? Um, Find something that brings you joy. I think that's number one. And, and, you know, and surround yourself with people that bring you joy because life's too short. I mean, at the end of the day, what's all this really for? Um, So that's number one. Number two, um, I guess it's, I don't know if it's just for business, but it's, but it's finding a way to believe in yourself. Um, And whether that I sort of started to believe in myself when I surrounded myself with people that believed in me first. And, and then that started to sort of transfer over into my own belief in myself. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so those are kind of the, I guess, top two. And then just take a chance. Like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Sometimes we, we confine ourselves too much. I love it. Um, Last question. What is giving you hope for the future? I think what's giving me hope is seeing the young women today. And even as young as my, I have a a 10 year old, almost 11 year old daughter, seeing the opportunities that they will have in their career. And I think all the work that my generation has done and my mom's generation and you know, her mom's generation, it's been slow to change, but I think we're seeing, uh, we're seeing traction and movement. And I, I'm really hopeful that these young women that are coming out of school now are gonna be able to far exceed where my generation of women has been able to succeed. A huge thanks this week goes out to Elise Stoltz Dickerson and the whole team over at EOSERA. This is the last episode of season two. Stay tuned for updates on season three. We'll see you then. The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media and is produced by StoryPop Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show. And be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening. A Story Pop Media Production.